Well, it is good to be with you this morning. Uh, We're going to go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, you've heard the passage read already. Uh, Let me flip there. So I won't read it again, but we will work through it. I do want to ask, um, I'm just going to pray one more time. Good Prayer is good. So, uh, Lord, uh, bless our time here, and uh, may you guide my words and uh, help us to see the glories of your Son and the glories of living in this moment that uh, you've established for us to, to be uh, believers following you and uh, caring for a lost world. Uh, grant us a favor uh, with those that we would bring your word and bring your gospel to, and uh, we pray the seeds would be sown very deeply as uh, we share your love uh, for lost sinners, Father, um, and that we'd see uh, a harvest of, of salvation even in our own day. In your son's name, amen. All right. Well, uh, good to be with you this morning. And uh, Pastor Levi, I met him back in 2019. A really wonderful uh, man. I'm glad that uh, he is your pastor and I've been keeping tabs a little bit and all that's been going on here. But what a delight to worship you this morning. And um, it's a delight for me to be able to share something from God's word. So you can see the title. I mean, it's kind of an ambitious title for a sermon, right? First things for ministry in a pagan world. Um, I don't know if you've looked around, but uh, things are not okay here in Minnesota and in our country, in the world. It really feels like, in some ways, the uh, the death of the Christian West. And um, it's easy to be dismayed with things like that. And rightly, we ought to be concerned and and um, and uh, ask, what is God doing? Um, and yet, it's not so much that... Uh, we live in a, a post-Christian world. It might be that God is just post-America. Right? That's that's certainly in the in the, the realm of possibilities. But I, I want to encourage you today not to think that it's just doom and gloom. It has to go that way. I, I spend almost every day during the legislative session down at the Capitol ministering to all of our legislators, both the right, the left, Democrats, Republicans. Um, there's almost nobody that refuses to meet with the pastors when we come down. And Levi's been a part of that. I'll unpack more of that after the service. You'd like to stick around and talk. I don't want this to be autobiographical. It's far more important about the Word of God, but I do want to give you that context in the sense that it's we're not without hope. You're never without hope when you're a believer. There's no bad day being a believer. There can be hard days, for sure. There can be days of suffering, but the Lord knows what he's doing, and uh, we want to get on his page. And so one of the things I've been kicking around, and I'm not going to say this is the um, the right way, absolutely, to think about it, but... Um, but helpful. We think about our current cultural context and we see how massive the state has become. The 20th century, um, as some people talk about it, is the age of statism, um, the growth of the nation state and almost the worship of the state. There are deep reasons for that. Um, but if we go back to the Reformation, we, we see the reformers, they were so pro-church that they needed to reform the church. Right? It wasn't because they were against the church that they wanted to bring reformation. They wanted reformation because they were so, that what they saw in the scriptures so commanded them to value the church and the ministry of the word and sacraments that they had to refine it, they had to reform it, bring it into more accordance with God's word. And we labor every single generation, Lord willing, to uh, do the same, right? We don't just stop. We continue to reform our lives, continue to go further into this book, into God's word for us. And we want to conform our lives and our church and our worship and our practice in accordance with God's word. And every age has new challenges and so forth. But the reformers fought this battle of a bloated, top-heavy church that was becoming unrecognizably the institution that God had created her to be, the bride of Christ, the pillar and ground of truth, and so forth. And um, 
In our day, it's not that the church is in danger of becoming that top-heavy. It's that a different institution, namely the state, one that God has created for our good, the state is a servant to do us good. God has ministers in government. We see that really clearly in Romans 13. And ministers in government, it's really interesting. This is the fun thing that I get to do. Ministers in government recognize ministers in the church. And there's something really wonderful that happens when they connect. It's like we can speak into their lives, sometimes even better than you can speak into the lives of people in your own church. It's a eerie, strange thing. It's... Um, very, uh, it, it wows me almost every single day, and it blows pastors' minds when they're together. But I, I think in our age, we are looking at more of the reformation of the state. Now, that might, again, might not be the right way to think about it, but it's, it's like we've come to this, where the state now is dictating all matters of life. And um, this is not so much just a rah-rah, be a conservative, you know, and so forth. This is just a, a return to the scriptures and asking ourselves, what does God require of the state? What are the limits of the state? Because the state is supposed to be very good for us. And uh, nonetheless, it's doing evil, vile things right now. I'm, I was telling uh, one of you before the service, I'm, I'm a pretty emotionally steady person. Um, but the, the amount of time, and even right now, I can feel it coming in because it's just such an emotional weight. But the number of times in the last month where I've just broken out sobbing at the dinner table because of the wicked things that are being done in our state legislature and actually caring for the people who were there, knowing the people were advancing wicked legislation and having a heart for them, not because I'm so good, but God's just given it. It's heartbreaking, and you think, what's going on? Where's our hope? What are we going to do? And, and this is where I, I think our passage comes in, and I want to give you some first principles from 1 Timothy to make sure that you don't um, go crazy with all the political stuff that's going on out there. Our allegiance is with Christ. It's not with a party. Our allegiance is to God's word, first and foremost, not the Constitution of the United States, though I love our Constitution, don't get me wrong, but our, our allegiance is to a kingdom that, that will never end. Right? We are ambassadors from that kingdom to the worldly, earthly powers that be here, and God intends for us not just to contend with them, where there are times where we do have to contend, but God expects us to minister to them. And there's something really unique in this passage that I think we can that would, will encourage us as we go through it. I remind you that in the background here, Paul's writing this pastoral epistle to Timothy. Um, Timothy's a young pastor. He's in Ephesus. The first chapter, Paul explains that, Timothy, you need to stay in Ephesus. And the reason you need to stay there is that there's some false teaching going on. There are people who are wanting to use the law, but not in a lawful way. Now, the law is not the gospel, right? So the, they want obedience to the law and saying that this is how you'll be made right. And then Paul goes on this marvelous explanation now. God was kind to him. He's the most wicked person alive at the moment, in his own estimation, killing Christians, and God saves him. And God is putting him on display as an object of his mercy and his grace. And given Paul's relationship with the Lord and his, his situation, where he, what he was and what now he is, he wants Timothy not to lose hope in the midst of Ephesus with the false teaching, and he wants him to execute this ministry his pastoral ministry in, in a wise and godly way. And then Paul is, through chapter 2 and 3 and, and following, is explaining some of the building blocks and the basics of being a good pastor. And where I go, in good Reformed fashion, like if you want to have a good church, if you want to have a good ministry, we need godly elders. And what are the elder qualifications? And we need deacons and the deacon qualifications. And, you know, I, I go there because you think you've got to have the the people. You've got to have the infrastructure for, for ministry in a church. And, 
And I'm not saying that Paul is saying that's less important, that it comes in chapter 3. But the very first thing that that Paul says is quite striking and actually very fitting for us today. Because there, and this is, not again, not a tight correspondence, but there's enough of a correspondence here. The law is not being used lawfully. Granted, they're talking about the Mosaic law here with, with Timothy. And yet there is, the, and this is the right way, right way to use uh, equity, one of the ways, uh, the general equity of the law still, this is like, me, I'm showing my Westminster uh, Confession of Faith, you know, position on this. Westminster Confession of Faith talks about the general equity of the law is still binding, right? So you might not play everything out the same way in Old Testament Israel in uh, modern day states, but we all think that murder is wrong, so you shouldn't murder, right? And on down the list, the biblical ethic is there, and it has informed the West for generations. Actually, the basis of English common law goes back to the book of Deuteronomy. That's a nice discussion. We'll have some other time, perhaps. But the equity of the law is still there, and and people are not using the law lawfully today. And this is what happens. Government doesn't change hearts. When somebody legislates something, it doesn't doesn't make you come to the knowledge of the truth, but it does grant moral permission to stuff. And so if you say um, two men can be married, you're like, oh, the state has given permission, and, and that must be a good thing. But they're not using the law lawfully. So a different kind of context, but similar kind of error, and we need to contend with that. Like, we know that, and it's more than just elections. It's more than just policy, but we, we feel it, we know it deeply with all the different things that are going on in our culture right now. And there actually is, with almost all of this, a pretty profound gospel response. And more on that later. We need to get into the meat of the sermon. But I just want to make this connection. The law being used lawfully. There are false teachers that Timothy has to contend with and not lose hope on them. They can come to know who Jesus is as well. And we have something similar in our day and age. Something similar. It's not the same, but similar. So here's what Paul tells Timothy to do. And I think it's something we just need to get double down on given the craziness of the state. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high position, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. I'll just stop with that. It's just half of the passage so far. First thing that Paul calls Timothy to is prayer, and all manner of prayer, whether it's intercession on behalf of someone, supplications, right, thanksgivings, for all manner of people. All kinds of people, but especially kings and those in high position. Now, we don't have a king today in our country. We got rid of that a couple hundred years ago. But we've taken the king and we've broken him up into lots of different parts. You have the, the lawmaking part over here. And you've got the judging part over here. You've got the sovereign of the state, right? The chief executive, if you like, um, right here. And, and you've got the, the going to war part over there. And we've split up the king into lots of different pieces. And... Timothy is commanded, and if Timothy is commanded to do it, I think there's a way in which the church follows after this, to be very intentional about praying for everyone, but especially those who are in positions of civic leadership. And I was pleased to see in your bulletin here that on the very back you got that reminder, right? Pray, pray for leaders, local, state, national, for those in authority, for media, educational leaders, and so forth. That's good. You ought to do that. Um, but I, here's the deal. Um, we see how Paul leverages his Roman citizenship for the sake of the gospel. He models this. Right? He gets to Rome to, to minister to Caesar's household. And, and though this is not spelled out exactly, it's by you can it's not hard to see it. If I can get Caesar, 
then the whole Roman Empire is ripe for the picking of the gospel. Right? Paul sees the strategic opportunity there, and he's willing to risk his life for it. Like, that's a good trade. I might lose my life, but um, everybody else might find life if I can pull this one off. And so he leverages Roman citizenship for the sake of the gospel, and he gets to Rome. Today, if you gave Paul American citizenship, I don't think we have the foggiest idea what he'd do with it. He'd be like, wait, what? What? Jeff, you can go to the Capitol? You can, wait, you can summon pastors from around the state by sending an email. Explain this to me, an email. You can reach out to thousands of people, and, and you get hundreds of pastors at the Capitol developing relationships with people. Um, why is this place in such a predicament? Like, it seems like it should be... And wait, wait, you can tell the churches to reach out to their elected officials and ask how they can pray for them? This email thing again? Or phone? What phone? What is that? You hear a voice through this box. You can actually reach them. Why aren't you doing it? Because if I'm commanded to pray for Ardell, I was looking for a way to pick on Ardell. There's, it's so easy, though, Ardell. So many ways to pick on you. Um, if, if I'm commanded to pray for Ardell by name, don't you think that I should actually invest in Ardell and ask him how I can pray for him? And don't you think that you probably have to develop a relationship with that person so that he feels safe enough to tell me, you know, this is really challenging right now, or I'm just so thankful for this. I don't even know what to do. I'm so excited. Like, well, let's give thanks to God for his provision in this. But you, you rejoice, right? You, you weep, you contend, you pray for people, if, and especially if you get to know them, like your children, right? It's good to see all the children out here. You guys matter. And your parents pray for you. They pray for you not just at the dinner table, but they pray for you when they wake up in the middle of the night. <laughs> you know, the tears are coming. Yeah. Um, I, my oldest is 21, almost 22. My youngest is five. Sometimes my five-year-old shows up in the middle of the night waking me up. Hi, Dad. Oh, go away. No, um, kidding. But it, you wake up in the middle of the night as a parent, and you, you pray for your kids at times. You're concerned for them. You want to see them do well. They're... they're they're objects of your delight, and so you pray over them and for them. And then you see God answer the prayers, and you praise God for that, and, and so on. And here we're called to pray for kings. Those are high position. And in our context, you don't have to sail across the Mediterranean. You could even, and don't do this right now, but this is how easy to find out who it is that represents you. You go to a website, L-E-G, as in legislature, but L-E-G, leg, dot M-N, that's our state, dot gov. Right? Government. Leg MN Gov. If you go there, you just type in your address, boom, there are all the people that represent you. And then if you click another button, your your computer will either call them directly, call their legislative assistant, that's what they're called, or it will drop an email to them and you can say, Senator, Representative, hi, you don't know me, uh, but I'm thankful that you're willing to serve. How can I pray for you? Or our church is praying for you this week. You could rotate through all the legislative... I don't, I don't care how you do it. Just seize the opportunity. Pray. We can bring this down to the local level, too. You don't have to just do state stuff. You could do your city council. It doesn't take that much time, actually, to get into somebody's life in such a way that you can care for them. And Paul is telling Timothy, you need to make this a very high priority. It's the first thing he mentions. Again, first doesn't mean it's of the absolute highest importance, but it is pretty unique that the first thing that Paul says is um, you need to conduct this prayer ministry and it's got to have focus for everybody. Like you would pray for everybody in the church. You should be doing that. But you especially carve out intentionality to pray for kings and all who are in high positions. 
just that alone is enough to, I think, make us do this. Can you imagine? Like if, if we had, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but if we had 10% of the church in Minnesota praying diligently, I don't mean pharisaically, perfectly, super ordered, but we're just diligent in praying for our elected officials. Do you think that um, it'd be just like God to save somebody? You realize there's just like a one-seat majority in that Senate right now. If that changed, some of the legislation that just went through the abortion stuff, which is horrific, wouldn't have gone through. I know who that person is. It's one of the people who's the main architect, and I won't say it because this is on, on um, being recorded here. But there are people that we are earnestly praying that God would, would call them and change their hearts. And I think that's like one of the best things we can do. You can, the world can't follow us in this, right? You can act like the world in lobbying, in elections, all different things the world can do. We typically do two times worse, but the world can do it. Let's do things that the world can't do. Love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. Reach out to people that are very different. Care for them, love them, show them something of, of who Christ is, and then engage in prayer consistently for that person. I think it's enough to change everything. 10% of the church doing it in the state of Minnesota? Do you think that God would not hear that and not answer that, given that he loves this? We just don't believe it, right? That's the problem. We don't believe it and we don't do it. I'm not trying to insult you guys in this, but I, I just get after my own heart with this. How often I, I, am, I am like, I'm not even as good as Jonah to sin like Jonah. I don't think it's like God to save a city or a nation or a king Jonah knows it's just like God to do it. So he's like, no, I'm out. I'm dealing out. I'm going the opposite way because I know what you're like. And I don't like it. Right? For me, I'm just like dragging my knuckles on the ground like, I don't know. know." No, it's not like God to save anybody. Right? (laughs) Really? Really? Jeff, have you not read the scriptures? Do you not know the story of what God is doing in history? Or have you bought into the lies of the world so much that you don't see what I'm doing? You don't believe that I'm capable of doing it? You actually believe their lines. Stop believing their lines and start believing my story, which I'm telling, and I intend to like bring nations to their knees. It'd be just like God to do something that we've never seen before in the history of the world here. It'd be just like him. Because he doesn't do the same thing over and over again. He's not boring that way. He's got all sorts of different moves you've never seen. He's like, I got this one planned for the 21st century. They're going to praise me for this, and they'll see. They thought it was this, and then I did this. And I will get the glory. It's just like God to do it. Pray that way. Okay, let's go on. With the, it, so there's prayers that need to be made for everybody. And there's some reasons for this, right? It's more than just, okay, we pray and believe God will hear our prayers. But there's something about leading a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way that goes with this prayer. This is the way you get the ick of politics off of you. Because both sides, right? I, there are times where I'm talking with Republicans and I say, hey, um, and I'm setting them up with this, right? I'm like, hey, you... Um, you vote the right way on abortion 100% of the time. Like, oh, yes, I do. And you're fiscally conservative. You realize the money doesn't belong to you and that you could just like really make a mess of things. You're just spending money wantonly, right? You'd never miss, uh, misspend some. Oh, no, no, I'm fiscally conservative. Right? And uh, you go on down the list with those things and you say, and you realize at the end of the day, none of that will get you to heaven. None of that will. And like, what? Like, Jesus doesn't care about your voting record insofar as it makes you right before him. He does care about how you vote in the sense, well, does it accord with God's word or not? But none of your actions, none of your works will get you into heaven. Don't buy into the Republican Pharisaism, which is a danger. It's a real danger. 
And so we fight that battle frequently. We fight just as hard for the Democrats as well. But this partisan politic divide and contending, you, you feel the ick of it at times, right? And you're like, I don't want that. I don't want that. I've got to scrub it off. And so we think the way to get it off is just to get away from it. No. A quiet, a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, dignified even in the political discourse, is dependent on this. Care for the people. Pray for them. Get into their lives. Don't get out of it. And don't get commandeered by a party, right? Be totally tethered to God's word and be insistent that you're going to show them something of who Jesus is. And maybe it's just some kindness. The number of times that I've been in meetings with legislators that are very different, you would think they're going to cuss you out, they're going to flip you off, they're going to pitch you out of their office, call security, the sergeant at arms, escort you from the building. You'd think there are probably many people that would do that. Those very people that you identify in your mind, and maybe you don't know them, but you can imagine probably what they're like, right? super progressive, liberal, no, no religious background whatsoever. Those are typically the ones that when we go to them, we show them some kindness and love. They're in tears in two minutes, and I'm not joking, because nobody's ever shown them love and kindness. Nobody's ever shown them something, the glory of who Jesus is. And we have access. They just keep coming back, and we keep going back. And I don't know who's more weirded out, us or them. Right? It's just like the most bizarre things. That's a quiet and dignified life. I feel no political ick in doing that, and neither would you. Right? Care for the people who are out there. If, if Daniel can serve under four really terrible regimes and seek the good of Babylon and be a wise counselor and get, he gets all sorts of you know, attack, the, the better he does, the more the attack comes. But God cares about Babylon through Daniel. Daniel can do that. You certainly can do this. Quiet, peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified, does not mean that you're politically apathetic. It means that you're, you're on mission with the mission of the gospel, speaking to people who are in positions of authority that God has placed there. Like it or not, God has placed the authorities that are there. We, we don't like a lot of what they're doing. They're beyond faithful servants. How are they going to be faithful unless we go and teach them? Right? They're servants to do good, Romans tells us, or Paul tells us. Servants to do good, but we're the ones to herald what the good is. And they don't know what the good is right now because we're silent, we're quiet. We think that engaging has to be just, again, the icky political stuff. There's more, though. It's not just this dignified life. Verse 3, look at this. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. And this is, I'm not a... Keep saying this, and you think, yeah, you, you keep saying it, we don't believe you. Not, not an overly emotional guy, but the, the amount of times where I'm just flooded with, and other pastors, I think Levi can speak to this as well. When we do this, when we engage in prayer for those who are in positions of authority, the pleasure of God just washes over you. It does, right? There are times where we're more sensitive to that than others, and all of us, our emotional lives are all different. You know, you look at one person, the way they... they they sense and enjoy and savor the goodness of God. And you think, oh, something must be wrong because I'm not just like them. God made us all different in the way that we savor and we enjoy. There are some commonalities, but some are not moved to tears, right? Um, whatever it is, but there's just, it's just so, I mean, it's intoxicating. It just washes over you and you're like, oh, <laughs> we are doing what God wants us to do and his delight is in it. And I can't wait for the next person that I get to go pray for and chase them down. So I'm trying to cast this vision for you guys. You'll figure it out your own way. You don't have to do it the way that I do it or, or what have you. I'm just saying this is a way forward that's not political. 
that's right on mission for the church. So it's good and pleasing the sight of God our Savior. And verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. All people here doesn't mean all people without, you know, any exception. I, th- I take this as all manner of people like kings and people in high positions of high authority. So this is not, we're not universalists here. Um, but God, it, there's no category of person that is outside of being reached by the gospel. And we have bought into a lie thinking that it's impossible to reach certain people. It is not impossible to reach people. It is not. When we see the world doing crazy, crazy things, Instead of retreat, we should run to it and say, okay, Lord, how will you use me in this? We see people who are, I'll give you a few examples of this to encourage you on. If God desires people to come to the knowledge of the truth, to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth, that is so sweet in the midst of our cultural confusion, right? Salvation from the lie and to come to know the truth. And so let me give you some examples of this where we need to be praying and uh, another reason why you need to engage with those who are in positions of authority and pray for them. If we're talking about um, the transgender ideology, which is a huge thing right now at the Capitol, um, and we have our first uh, transgender uh, uh, House of Representative member, uh, Lee Finke is his name. Um, you can do a search for him, and you should be praying for him. Um, you just take a look, and you'll say, oh, I need to be praying for Lee. Right? I don't know if that's his given name. I don't know all that. We're trying to meet with him, haven't met with him yet, but you just see the person. And it's easy. The political thing to do is just to attack. And the Christian thing to do is say, there's an image bearer. There's a fellow image bearer who does not know whose image he's made in. And all of us, I was talking to, again, I think it was Jim earlier, um, or maybe it was Phil, that um, with the transgender ideology stuff, there's... um, I think it's really at root, at its deepest root, it's a struggle with the old man and new man type thing because all of us really should struggle with identity every single day. And that identity is, am I identifying in Adam or am I identifying in Christ? And God tells us, you're mine. I bought you with a price. Here's your new identity. And you say, but I don't feel like that. Yeah, you don't. You're still a sinner. And yet this is the identity I'm giving to you. I've declared it to be so. Believe it and live it. Yeah, but I'm I'm not great. Nope, you're not. That's why I sent my son. He came to save you from that old identity that will still claw at you at times and say, come on back, slum it with the old Adam. And you say, no, that's not who I am. I've been made in this new image in Christ. And this is where I'm going. And God is going to complete this good work in me. And so I will identify every single day with Jesus, my Savior, who is setting me free from the lies that I, I will be told to me and that I will even manufacture and believe myself. That's how bad the old Adam is. That's the root identity issue. And if we can be honest about that and share that, that speaks so deeply into the hurt and the confusion of people who are struggling with the transgender stuff. It, it just it blows up right the logjam that's there. If we can just sow it, if we can just get to it. And many of the other things that we're dealing with, um, the rebellion against God, Stuff has gospel on-ramps left and right. We just have to start thinking about it. I think God has given us a gospel-rich environment in which to live. Like these are the worst of times in one sense, and they are the best of times. Because nothing less than the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to get us out of this mess. Sorry. Sorry, Republicans. (laughs) You're not sharp enough to do this. I'm not sharp enough to do this as a pastor. All I can do 
is be faithful to what God's called me to do and trust and believe and have hope that God might do something. Now, God might judge, and he is judging. A lot of the stuff that we see is judgment. This judgment will come, but part of it is the judgment upon us. What do we do then? We repent. How will the, Lord, how will the world learn how to repent unless we get good at it ourselves? Right? The sexual immorality that's so wild around us, and we can point fingers at that, that's really great, and yet we have to contend with our own. We have to repent of it. We have to deal with it. We have to be diligent in uh, rooting that out left and right. So um, we'll close down here in just a, a minute. This shouldn't be lost on us. Right? This, this passage, Paul is, is wanting to see the pagan world come to the knowledge of the truth. He's wanting the false teaching of the law to be, to be put to the side. And the engine that drives this is not just theological precision or great elders. Those things are all important. Don't get me wrong. But pastoral ministry that's rooted in prayer, prayer for everyone, but especially those who are in positions of authority. And if pastors are praying that way, I think churches have responsibility to follow suit as well. I'd love to talk to you after the service if you want to have some questions, talk more about the work that we're doing. Again, it's interesting work. I don't want it to be about me. I just want to, I want to tell you that this passage has transformed my life. I've thought about it every day for the last four years. It's put me into an evangelistic, um, I, I don't know what's happened. Like I just, there's so many opportunities that now are popping up that I didn't even see before. Just because I put one foot in front of the other and said, I'm going to live this out. I'm going to try to do this the best that I can. The number of opportunities that God's created, is, it's blowing my mind. And um, this is happening in 16 states now, just to encourage you. 16 states have this program up and running. We want to be in all 50 in the next 10 years. Can you imagine pastors, hundreds of pastors, not all at one time, because it's not about a show of force, but hundreds of pastors in every single state going to the Capitol and praying for their elected officials. God's not left us. Or if you were to come to the Capitol with me and we walked around, um, the, the biggest group represented at the Capitol are evangelical Christians. You wouldn't think that, given all the crazy things that are happening. Now, they're not the majority, otherwise it would be different. But the number of Christians who are in support staff or who are elected officials, it's profound how many are there. And you know what happens if you reach out to them and say, hey, I don't even know you. I just want you to know that Christ Bible Church is praying for you. You know what that will do? I, I would talk to one the other day. Um, actually, he's become a good friend. He's one of the most full-contact Christian legislators you'll meet. Like He loves to skate people into the boards and skate away with the puck. And say, ha, don't you know? Don't try that again. So rough and tough guy. And he says, Jeff, I don't think I can make it through a week if the pastors weren't praying for me. It's just gotten so bad. I, it's the thing that's you. And it's, I don't want this. It's not me talking about the body of Christ for praying. This person says, I, Yeah, I can't. I could not make it through a week right now. That's how bad it is. Unless you are ministering. Don't neglect the opportunity to pour into your brothers and sisters who are doing amazing things there. Or people, there are other people who are engaged as well. But, so that's what I have for you this morning. Um, unless you think this is just all about pastors, maybe I'll close with this. Verse 8 comes on the heels of this. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Um, it's not just the pastor, it's the men. Men love to fight, right? Right? They like to get angry, quarrel, fight about the Vikings or the Packers, and it's all done now, so we can forget about that. Um, Paul envisions one of the most manly things that you can do is men to get together and lift up holy hands and pray. 
It's an absence of that, men. Um, If we were faithful in that, and we believe that it's just like God to save a city, or save a state, or save people, um, I think uh, that manly action might get God's attention in a in a good way. So um, don't neglect prayer, especially men. It doesn't come easy. You got to fight for it, right? But go go after it. Get together. Pray, and pray knowledgeably. Reach out. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've not left us without hope. Um, we pray something as simple as this passage might encourage us to contend, knowing that the battle is not. Um, physical. This is a spiritual battle, Father. We know that. So make us faithful in prayer for those who are in positions of authority. And uh, we pray that in the ministry of this church and many other churches throughout uh, the Twin Cities and our state, they would be pleased to make your son known all the more that people would stop believing lies and come to the knowledge of the truth. That instead of being enslaved to their sin and a worldly mind, that you would set them free to know the truth, to rejoice in the truth, and then act in such a way that upholds the truth. We know none of this is going to happen by our own wisdom, our own strength. It has to be you, Father. And so we ask you, Father, uh, we ask you to be with us and to do this in our midst. In your son's name we pray. Amen.